Well, I hope I don't have to convince you that uh, we have a certain, shall I say, cultural fixation with preparing for the future. Okay, so just think about that. I think it's fair to say that we spend unbelievable amounts of time and money on things like health insurance, or life insurance, or long-term care insurance, or car insurance, or home insurance, or IRAs, 401ks, and HSAs. I could just keep going. Okay, the point being, as a culture, we have a certain fixation with preparing for an uncertain future. And just to give you one example, it, it seemed like, I'm 33 right now, but it seemed like after I turned 30 that that new offers for life insurance just started trickling into my mailbox, okay? So I think I'm still relatively young, all right? Um, I exercise regularly, thanks to my wife. I think I eat fairly healthy food. But, but apparently, if my mailbox is any indicator, I'm about to die, <laughs> okay? So, so truth be told, there's part of me when I, when I see these offers come in, I think, yeah, right. Like, I need more life insurance. And there's that great sort of, I'm such a wise consumer satisfaction of taking the unopened envelope and, you know, dropping it in the recycle bin. Okay, so part of me responds that way. But there's another part of me that walks in the house, hey, daddy, daddy, you know, crazy, noisy. But in, on the inside, I'm thinking, huh, I wonder what would happen if I died. You know, would Elisa be okay? Would the boys be okay? Who would take care of them? Or how would you provide for them? And that's the part of me that jumps online after dinner to ask Google if I do have enough life insurance for a family of five. Why do you think we spend so much time, church, preparing for an uncertain future? Well, I think it's because we know, even if you're not a Christian, there's something deep inside of us that knows that the things that are most important in life, the things that we most care about, are things that are entirely out of our control. You know, will I ever find a spouse Or will my spouse, if I find one, remain faithful to me? Will my kids turn out okay? What what if I have to go on disability? What if I can never pay all the bills? What what if I'm never able to conquer that temptation to sin? What what if the economy goes down the tubes? What what if terrorists attack our country? Okay, just, just insert into that Whatever thought, whatever what if, tends to keep you awake in the middle of the night. I think we instinctively sense that the future is not under our control and that that trouble is bound to come our way in one form or another. Which begs this question. What is it that's going to enable us to face tomorrow's troubles with confidence and courage. 
Okay, what, what is going to enable us to do that? that? I think that's precisely what Daniel's wrestling with in 537 B.C. at the beginning of this chapter. Okay? Daniel's still living as a Jewish exile in Babylon. And two years earlier, two years before this vision, King Cyrus sent some of his fellow exiles back to Jerusalem after some seven years in Babylon to begin rebuilding the temple under the leadership of a man named Ezra. And for one reason or another, Daniel remained. Maybe it's the fact that he's probably close to 85 years old at this point. Okay, that's a long trip back home. And we don't, we don't exactly know why Daniel's fasting and praying at, at the beginning of chapter 10. He doesn't, doesn't say to us why he's mourning, but I think in context of chapter 9, it seems like Daniel has a practice of praying for God's mercy and praying for wisdom about the future of Israel. He, he does that a lot in the book, and, and undoubtedly, He'd heard that things weren't going well back in Jerusalem. You know, if, if you're familiar with the book of Ezra, the first couple of chapters, um, you might know that, that when the exiles got back, started to rebuild the temple, they faced some really serious opposition. You know, if I'm Daniel, I, I'm thinking, Lord, it's like we just exchanged one form of suffering for another form of suffering. You know, maybe your life feels like that. And you just think, did I just draw the short straw? It's like, as soon as I get through one form of suffering, it's incoming, another form of suffering. And, and at the end of this time of mourning and fasting, God answers Daniel's prayer. And he actually gives him another vision of, of the future awaiting Israel. So, so here's what you need to know. Chapters 10, 11, and 12 are one big vision. Okay, you can be grateful right now that I'm not trying to preach all those chapters in one sermon. But they're all one big vision and they cover the same time period as some of the earlier visions in Daniel. Okay, that's important. Just keep cycling back to look at it from a different different angle. And if you look at verse 1 of chapter 10, I think we see here a good summary of the whole experience of this entire vision, these last three chapters from Daniel. What's verse 1 tell us? It tells us that this vision, this experience, it was a revealed word. It was a true word. It was a challenging word and an understandable word. But it was also a terrifying word because it showed Daniel a future filled with great conflict for the people of God. It was terrifying. You know, for for us, what do we struggle with? Well, we struggle with the possibility that there could be troubles in tomorrow, right? And so what do we do? We buy insurance. We don't know, but it could be, so we buy insurance. Well, what did Daniel have? He didn't just have possibilities of future troubles. He had a guarantee from God. Tomorrow, for you and all your people, pretty much next few centuries, trouble. That's what this said to Daniel, okay? It's terrifying. And yet, there's something here, something that God does at the very beginning of this three-chapter vision that I believe gave Daniel what I mentioned earlier, courage and confidence in the face of tomorrow's troubles. 
Okay, so I, th- I think there's at least three experiences God gave Daniel here in chapter 10 that enabled him and will enable us to be the sort of people described in Daniel 11, verse 32. Okay, a people who gaze into the future and don't fall prey to fear, but rather, as Daniel writes, stand firm and take action. Okay, so that's the question. How do we look at tomorrow's troubles and gaze at them with courage and confidence. We have to be a people who are three things. Okay? Three points this morning. First, we have to be a people who are undone by the glory of God. If you want to gaze at tomorrow's troubles with courage and confidence, the single most important thing that you must be, that we must be, is a people who are undone by the glory of God. Okay, look at, look at verse 5. Daniel tells us that this vision was on the bank of the Tigris River and began with beholding, quote, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Okay, now listen. Daniel isn't using the word like because he spent too much time around American teenagers. (laughs) That's like not why he's like using the word like, okay? He's using the word like. He's gazing at this man and saying his face was like the appearance of lightning because he's trying to capture in limited human language and experience a glory that cannot be captured by them. This this linen symbolizes purity and holiness. The tabernacle was made with linen, and the priests who ministered in the Jewish tabernacle were clothed with linen. The belt of gold, that evokes wealth and and royalty, and these images of, of barrel, a translucent stone, torches and gleaming metal, all of those images are literally taken from Ezekiel chapter 1. Where the prophet Ezekiel uses them to describe the heavenly creatures that dwell before the throne of God. Okay, that's not an accident. Daniel knows his Bible. So what is he telling us here? Well, he's telling us in no uncertain terms that this man who's standing before him is not a mere man. Okay? This wasn't a superhero who's inside a suit. (laughs) All right, this is an angel. A messenger from God, and as such, this angel reflects the glory of the one who sent him. That's what we see here. Okay, now now look at verse 7. What's the effect? Look at verse 7. The men who were with me, Daniel says, did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. Now, why? Why do you think they did that? Why why would they run from something they couldn't see? Why would they flee from something they couldn't hear? Well, friend, it's because there is more to reality in this world than what you can perceive with your five senses. Okay? There's more to reality 
And in that moment, they sensed something that terrified them. They produced a, an involuntary trembling, a, a desperate impulse to run, a sudden compulsion to, to hide, to, to find somewhere to hide, to get away from what they couldn't see, but they could sense. Well, what, what, what is it that they, they couldn't see, they couldn't hear, but they could sense? What was it outside of themselves that, that they had been hardwired to know? It was the glory of God. They didn't see it. They didn't hear it. But as those who were made in that God's image, when a mere reflection, a mere reflection of that glory just got close to them, they freaked out. They sensed it. And unlike those guys, Daniel sees it, Daniel hears it, and Daniel remains. He doesn't run. He perceives with his eyes what they could only sense in their spirit, and he is absolutely undone. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. What happens to Daniel? No strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, or literally in Hebrew, my splendor was changed to ruin. And I retained no strength. Do you realize in scripture that that is consistently what happens? Universally what happens when human beings like us are confronted with the glory of God. Sinners run and hide. The people of God remain near, but they're undone. You know, this is... This is Isaiah 6 all over again. What what did Isaiah say? Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Undone. I love how Ian Duguid warns us. The Old Testament visions of God are never produced simply to impress us with special effects. Okay, in a Marvel age, we need that. They're not simply to impress us with special effects. They seek to communicate through the vision some aspect or aspects of God's nature that will be important for the message that will follow. So, what is it that Daniel's vision of this angel communicates about God. What's it communicate about God? What communicates that the one with whom we have to do is infinite in holiness, supreme in majesty, and perfect in power. As Ian Duguid goes on to say, he's not a cosmic Mr. Nice Guy. Okay? He is your Lord and your king, and you did not elect him. He created you, and he is watching you, and you're living in his world, and he owns you. The question is not if that's true, but whether or not you will live accordingly. 
Daniel, when he saw a mere reflection, I can't get over that. He, he didn't even see God himself. He just saw one who had, who had been near the Lord. He couldn't even remain conscious. Undone. I mean, friend, I have to ask you, when, when was the last time that you were undone by the glory of God? And when, when was the last time that, that you looked up you looked up from the fading pleasures of this earth and fixed your eyes on him. One who holds the stars in place. Don't believe. Do not allow yourself to be convinced that, that Christianity is just some set of beliefs or rules that your parents want you to follow. Okay, at the, at the heart of Christianity is, is the objective, universal reality of the triune God. The transcendent one. Father, Son, and Spirit. He's not just an idea. He's a person. Okay? And he's greater than we can imagine. And, and greater than, more transcendent than, than my feeble little mouth and Daniel's pen can ever describe. He's real. And, and I long for the day, I long for the day when, when we're gonna get, if you're in Christ, to see him face to face. Man. But you know what else I'm grateful for? I'm so grateful we don't have to wait for that day to see his glory. Why do I say that? Well, we'll think about this, okay? Why was Daniel undone by what he saw? but rendered unconscious by what he heard. Do you notice that? He was undone by what he saw, but as soon as the angel spoke, he was unconscious. What's up with that? Well, the reason, friend, is that, that the words the angel spoke weren't just the angel's words. They were God's words. They were God's words, and to hear the word of God is to receive a divine impartation of the glory of God. Okay, when, when, when you, I'll say it this way, you want to grow in your awe of God, open this book. <laughs> open the book. Why? Because we serve a God who reveals and imparts his glory through his words. All right? And, and these words, please hear this. These words don't become the word of God. When, when the music swells and 
you know, you just start feeling a little woozy or something, and the preacher starts to whisper, real spiritual. <laughs> no, they don't, they don't become the word of God. It's not like these are sort of a human take on the ineffable, and when you read them, the Holy Spirit uses their imperfections and somehow speaks to you through them, okay? That's heretical. This is the word of God. This is the word of God. When, when you open this book in the morning with your bleary eyes, you are opening your eyes to nothing less than the glory of God. That's a gift, friend. Don't, don't leave here and say, I have no idea how to grow in my awe of God and being undone by the glory of God. Yes, you do. God has told you, open the book. Open the book. Every verse in here, every chapter, it, it all points to Jesus. It all points to him. And the word of God is his divinely intended means of keeping his glory before your eyes in the land of your exile. You know, so, so, so what do we do? Well, we think, of, we think of tomorrow's troubles and we say, Lord, I want comfort, I want ease, I want security. You know what God says? I've got something better than all three of those for you. Okay? Lord, but Lord, I don't, I don't want better. Isn't this how we do this, right? I've got something better. Well, I don't want better. I just want the pain to go away. To which God says, son, you don't know what you're asking for. If I take the pain away, you'll never see me. If I take the pain away, you'll never run to my word. You'll, you'll never know me. For who I really am, son. You, you won't be undone by my power. You won't be undone by my mercy. The only way you'll ever be able to face tomorrow's troubles with courage and confidence, friend, is if the pain of your sorrows sends you running to the pages of God's word. That's how he brings you face to face with his glory. And that is where he helps you see that your future is never, ever out of control. Ever. It's where the Lord says to you in no uncertain terms, I am sovereign. I am Lord. I'm loving. I'm wise. I'm your God. You want to be ready for tomorrow's troubles? The most important thing. We need to be a people who are undone by the glory of God, undone. If we could stop there, <laughs> oh my. But there's more. We also need to be a people. I need juice. And once again, I have none to give you. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. We also need to be a people who are aware of the enemies of God. Okay, undone by the glory of God, aware of the enemies of God. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. Back to Daniel. Verse 10, the angel touches Daniel, sets him on his hands and knees, proceeds to explain his mission. Look at verse 12. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I've come because of your words. 
The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. All right, let's just say for the sake of time, this is the part of the chapter where the news seems to get worse before it gets better. Okay? The, the angel tells Daniel, hey, Daniel, I could have come earlier, um, but I was running late. <laughs> I got delayed. Now, I'll actually give you pause. What is it? I mean, we're talking about an angel who bears the, in his mere reflection of the glory of God, enough glory to just level people. So why would this kind of angel get delayed? Well, friend, it's because he's not alone in the spiritual realm. He's not alone. The the conflict, the trouble, the suffering that that you and I experience in the physical realm points to a far greater struggle, a, a cosmic struggle, a spiritual battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the evil one. And and this prince of the kingdom of Persia is a demonic spiritual power warring against the angel of God. And the fact, please hear this, that the angel describes his opponent as the prince of the kingdom of Persia at the beginning of verse 13 and as the kings of Persia at the end of verse 13 points to this alliance, this connection between the spiritual powers of evil and the physical powers of evil. It's in verse 13. They're working together. These demonic forces are at work in and through the kings of Persia. They can't be seen with a physical eye, but they are no less real than Cyrus himself. And they exercise a direct influence on the affairs of men. And in essence, they attempt to oppose the purposes of God by oppressing the people of God. That's how they roll. They oppose God's purposes by oppressing God's people. Their their works and effects, though, I should argue, are not limited to the kings of Persia. Because beginning in the Garden of Eden, extending to the present day, the people of God, the church, have been attacked over and over and over again by the forces of Satan. In Ephesians 6.12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, right? But against what? The rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now we spent a lot of time on spiritual warfare summer or so of last year. when we worked through Ephesians. And so, undoubtedly, if you weren't here for those sermons, you're going to have a lot more questions than I can possibly answer today. Okay? So, application point, go listen to the Ephesians Spiritual Warfare Message Series. All right? But I, I want to briefly make three points very quickly here. Okay? First, we err whenever we start seeing a demon behind every bush and under every rock. We err when we do that. Why? Well, because as God's children, we have enemies on three fronts. Not one. The world, 
our sinful flesh, and the devil. And by the way, one of the devil's favorite techniques to oppose the purposes of God by oppressing the people of God is to convince us that somehow everything wrong with our lives is all his fault. Not mine. It's quite possible to start seeing him under every rock and behind every bush such that he achieves his greatest desire. You never give attention to the battle in here. You never do business with the sin in your own heart. Okay? We err when we go there. Second, we err when we buy into this, this naturalist philosophy that would convince you that the only things that are real are things the scientific method can prove. Okay? That's the American temptation. We forget that, that we have a spiritual enemy. Who, who even now in this moment is doing, doing everything he can to destroy your soul, to wean your affections away from the glory of God and fix your affections on the stuff of earth. That's what he's doing. And third, and this is really the main point from Daniel 10 when it comes to being aware of God's enemies, we don't struggle alone. Don't struggle alone. If, if you're a Christian, if, if you are trusting Jesus and not your own good works to save you on the day of judgment, then know this. The host of heaven right now is fighting on your behalf. They're fighting on your behalf. They're waging war against the powers of darkness and they are advancing the unstoppable purposes of God in your life. Hebrews 1.14, speaking of the angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Okay, why do I say that being aware of the spiritual battle is so important if we're going to face tomorrow's troubles with courage and confidence? Well, here's, here's how that works. If you don't expect trouble tomorrow, then when it shows up, you're going to be a wreck. Okay? Now, if you expect trouble tomorrow because we're living in a cosmic spiritual war zone, does that make tomorrow's trouble easy? No. But you know what it does help? It means you go into it with biblical expectations. I would argue that's half the battle. Half the battle, okay? If we're going to face tomorrow with courage and confidence, we've got to remember that the host of heaven is fighting on behalf of the church us, people of God, in a real battle, need to be aware of God's enemies. I'm done by God's glory, aware of God's enemies, and finally, point number three, we need to be strengthened by the word of God. Very simple. You want to face tomorrow's troubles with courage and confidence. You need to be undone by God's glory. You need to be aware of God's enemies, then you need to be strengthened by the word of God. Okay, so, so I want you to think about something here with me. Why does Daniel have no strength at the beginning of verse 10? Why is he completely undone, unconscious, with his face to the ground there? He'll, he'll be overwhelmed all over again in verse 15 after the angel describes these spiritual forces of evil that are arrayed against the people of God. But, but that hasn't happened yet in verse 10. Okay, so why is Daniel overwhelmed in verse 10? Well, the answer is point number one. He's overwhelmed because he saw a reflection of the transcendent glory of God. 
And that, that tells us something critically important, friends, okay? Critically important about how God wants to strengthen us for the future with his words. I, I'd say it this way. When you anticipate the future, your greatest need is not strength for the moment when you come face to face with difficult circumstances, okay? Your greatest need is for the moment when you come face to face with God, I'll say that one more time. This is so important. When you think about the future, your greatest need is not tied to the moment when you will face a difficult circumstance. Your greatest need is directly tied to the moment when you will face God. And every one of us in this room, left to ourselves as sinners, has reason to despair when we are called to account before a holy God. There there is, as it were, a fearful sanity to the cry of the wicked in Revelation 6, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us to hide us from the face of him who's seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? If you're not undone in this life by the glory of God, you will be on that day. You will be. So so think about it. Think about it. How did the angel respond when Daniel was overwhelmed because of that? How did he strengthen him? We strengthened him with a touch. Then he strengthened him with a word. What did he say to Daniel? Oh, Daniel, you are greatly loved greatly loved. Okay, let's just acknowledge that our culture, on the whole, doesn't have a clue when it comes to the love of God. Okay, why do I say that? Well, because we take it for granted. We take it for granted. We we assume God loves us. God loves everybody, right? Well, why do we assume that? Because we think of God like Clarence and it's a wonderful life. Okay? He's, He's a little goofy, a little awkward in an endearing sort of way, quasi-forgetful. You know, he's like a heavenly grandparent that that just winks at our misdeeds and and spoils us no matter what. Does God love me? Well, of course he loves you. God loves everyone. Free love from God. Well, the problem with that, there's a lot of problems with that. But in brief, the problem with that is that All of creation and the collective voice of conscience and the accumulated testimony of the entirety of Scripture says that's not true. He's a holy God, a righteous God who doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. And yet, in the words of R.C. Sproul, the one from whom we needed to be saved is what? The one who saved us, right? Romans 5. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? So friend, if you want to know if God loves you, if you want to know, is there any hope for me on the day when I come face to face with the awesome glory of my creator, then do this. Don't look inside yourself at your good works. Don't dare compare yourself to other people. Look to Jesus. 
Look to Christ, okay? Humble yourself today like Daniel and believe the word of the gospel. And in Jesus' sacrificial death, in your place, for your sins, hear the Father speaking over you the words he spoke to Daniel. You are greatly loved. Greatly loved. The angel strengthened Daniel in the midst of God's awesome glory by reminding him of the Lord's saving love for him. It's the first way Daniel was strengthened by God's word. He needed that, not not just in light of the future, but but in light of God's glory. But yet he also needed strength when it came to the future, okay? And before too long in this vision, he's devastated all over again. Well, why? Well, because this time it's not the divine glory of the angel that leaves him flat on the ground. It's the trouble facing Israel. It's the spiritual conflict. And verse 18 The angel speaks to him again. O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. And and Daniel says, when he spoke that to me, I was strengthened. Now, here's the million dollar question. Where can you and I find that kind of strength? Okay? Where, where could Daniel's fellow exiles, who never experienced the touch of the angel firsthand, find that kind of strength? Well, I think the key is in verse 14. Okay, Think about this. Why is it that though the angel was delayed, the angel was still able to make Daniel understand, quote, what is to happen to your people in the latter days? That doesn't seem to go together. Angels who get delayed doesn't seem to go with, I know exactly what's going to go down in the future. Hold on. Um, You got delayed. Superhero, if you want me to think that you know exactly what's going down in the future, you shouldn't be getting delayed. There's a tension there. Well, could, could the angel say that? I know what's going to happen in the latter days. If God simply sets the world in motion and then sits back to let it play out, could the angel say that if if God is engaged in some sort of dance with our world where we're all sort of in process together and, and we act and then God acts and God doesn't know how we're going to act and how we act sort of changes how God acts and we're all together working toward this unknown future well there's no way there's no way the angel could say that if if those things were true so the only way he could say that in verse 14 I know what's going to happen to your people in the latter days is if two other biblical things are true both of which we see over and over again in Daniel okay first God knows the end from the beginning and is therefore able to declare the end from the beginning because he planned it okay and second The fact that we live in the midst of this cosmic spiritual conflict does not mean, please hear that, does not mean that the outcome is uncertain. All right? God's in control. Which means he doesn't just passively know the future because he has some sort of weird ability to figure out what we're going to do long in advance. No. He's in control because he's sovereignly orchestrating the future 
down to the smallest detail of our lives in a way that never undermines our responsibility and yet ensures that it is always his will that prevails. You gotta hold that together. The angel was delayed, not defeated. That's significant. Okay? I love this quote from Joyce Baldwin. The conflict will be such as to cause doubt as to whether God's people can survive. And the vision is intended to give unshakable assurance that desperate as the situation will be, God is so fully in control as to be able to disclose the sequence of events before they happen. Indeed, they are already inscribed in his book of truth, which though figurative, aptly conveys God's control and knowledge of past, present, and future, for they are all officially entered in his records. That's amazing. That's amazing. Friend, the Lord strengthened Daniel with a word that he was in charge, that he knew the future, But I hope you realize that 500 years later, God sent another word that was far more personal than anything Daniel ever saw or heard. And this time, he didn't use a messenger. He sent his son. And the word of the gospel doesn't just speak peace into your relationship with God. It speaks peace over the entire future of your life. Why do I say that? Romans 8. He who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christian, the governing reality in your future is that nothing will separate you from the love of God. That's the governing reality in your future. And so we boldly declare with the psalmist, God is our refuge and strength. Say that today, friend. God, you are my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, the Lord of hosts is with us, and the God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. In conclusion, Kevin, if you just come on up with a band, okay? Because we need to sing. Church, I want you to recognize that in response to Daniel's prayers, God didn't immediately deliver him or his people from suffering. 
Okay, in fact, this detailed vision that we're just jumping into this week is full of all kinds of trouble. But at the beginning of it, God strengthens Daniel for what's to come with a word that does three things, okay? It assures Daniel of the Lord's personal love for him. It reminds Daniel that that God is in complete control and it promised Daniel that even in that moment, the host of heaven were fighting on his behalf. You want to talk about being strengthened by a word. That's amazing. And yet God's response to us today through the word of the gospel is no different. No different. Far better. If you want to be a people who look into tomorrow's troubles with courage and confidence, then I exhort you today from Daniel 10 to be undone by God's glory, to be aware of God's enemies, and to be strengthened by God's word. Let's stand and pray and sing. Oh Lord, we, we agree. We add our amen to the words of our brother Paul Tripp who so wisely observed that we will only rest in situations over which we have no control if we are in awe of the one who controls them all. For his glory and our good. And I ask you today as we sing now that you would Restore that all of the one who controls them all. And that for every man, woman, and child in this room who has never stood in awe of the glory of God, that you would grant them that gift right now. Amen.